Welcome to Beyond the Benediction. This podcast is created for the exploration of the Bible, the examination of the church, and the expectation of the Christian life. We will cover topics that will both challenge and encourage you and help us to live lives dedicated to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Kevin Toomer. Welcome to the Beyond the Benediction podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Toomer. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week's episode, if Christianity is true, why do so many reject it? Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you are already a Christian. You believe that is true. Part of the reason why I'm even doing this podcast is not just for those who may know Christ to grow closer to him. But I want to be used as a vessel for those who don't know Christ to be introduced to him, because as we've discussed on a number of episodes, they're only through Jesus Christ. He's the only name of the heaven by which men can be saved. So it's imperative for us as Christians to have a desire for people who don't know Christ to be saved. But we have to understand that people who don't know Christ, and you can think back to before you became a Christian, there is going to be some animus. There's going to be some pushback. We should expect people to reject the truth about Christianity. But even though we should expect the rejection, that may not necessarily explain the rejection. So I'm going to give three reasons why I believe that people who are not Christians reject Christianity. The first reason why, even though Christianity is true, so many people reject it is that the truth is not wanted. Now, you may say that doesn't really make sense. Well, let me give you first the scripture. This is the book of Jude, and it's only one chapter, verses 17 and 18. And it says, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last days there will be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. So you see, people don't want the truth about Christ because it makes them now have to confront the fact that they're a sinner. And not only do they have to confront the fact that they're a sinner, they have to confront the fact that the things they like to do as a sinner is now incorrect. One of the hardest things to get someone to admit is that they're wrong. <laughs> and I'm sure some of us who are listening right now can raise their hand and say, yep, that's me. You may think of yourself as a really logical and, and calm and, and reasonable person, but no one really likes to admit that they're wrong. And when you're talking about Christ to someone, the, the whole point of Jesus Christ is dying for our sins because our sin debt remains unpaid unless we accept his sacrifice for us. So that's a difficult conversation to have with someone. But you couple that with the notion that I have to change my life. I have to change my lifestyle. I have to change my behavior. And there may be things they have been doing for 10, 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden now they have to unlearn and change dramatically everything they've been doing and everything they believe. Because contrary to popular opinion, None of us are good people. None of us live lives that meet the standard that God has for us. 
But the truth isn't wanted because people don't want to change. Because let's be honest, even those of us who are Christians, we still sin. And the reason why we sin is because sin brings pleasure. It feels good when we sin. It tastes good when we eat things we shouldn't eat. It's a relief for us when we do things we shouldn't do. The enemy knows exactly how to tempt us. The enemy knows exactly what we want. And he paints that picture that this was going to give you that immediate gratification and immediate satisfaction that you need. And he knows the right time to come at you with that temptation. He knows to get you when you're at your weakest point, when you're vulnerable, when you're lonely, when you're sad, when you're bored. That's when he comes at you. But this is the kicker. He comes at us at times where we're the lowest, but it's still up to us to accept the temptation because no one forces you and I to accept the bait, as it were. But look at it this way. No one can tempt you with something that you don't want. The temptation has to be something that appeals and that you're attracted to. And God plays no role in tempting us. Here's a scripture. James chapter one, verses 13 and 14. It says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, listen to this, when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So you see, we all have our own desires and proclivities and things that we're attracted to that God says we shouldn't be. The Bible makes it clear that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity from the moment we came out of our mother's womb before we could even say the word sin. We were still sinners. Now, that's a fact that's hard for a lot of people to swallow, but it's the truth. And because we're sinners, the gospel of Jesus Christ represents almost like a police officer telling us how much we've done wrong. And using that same illustration, people hide from Christ like criminals hide from police officers. No one who's who's guilty will just run to be arrested and sent to prison. (laughs) But when it comes to Christians, we've come to the judge, as it were, in Jesus Christ and said that I am guilty of these sins. But Jesus not only is the judge, but he's also our our parole officer, (laughs) which is a good way to put it. He can get us off because he paid the price for our sins. But the truth isn't wanted by people who don't know Christ. But before we cast aspersions, just think about how you live your life before you became a Christian. Think about the things you used to do, the places you used to go, the things you used to say, the things you used to believe. And I'm sure when you were living in that lifestyle, someone came to you and presented the gospel. And I'm sure that the very first time someone presented the gospel to you, You did not become a Christian. You scoffed at him. You laughed at him. Or you may have even said that person may be true, but I'm not ready to make that leap. I'm not ready to make that commitment. So the truth for those who don't know Christ because of the lifestyle, because of their sinful nature, their sinful behavior and the belief of how they view sin and how they view God, they don't want the truth. 
But that doesn't mean because they don't want the truth that you and I as Christians should not present the truth. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. So now Christianity is true, but people reject it, first of all, because the truth just isn't wanted. People don't want the truth. And let me say this before I move into my second point. The Bible makes it clear that there are people who call themselves Christians, but only accept part of the truth. Yes, they like the part about Jesus being their savior. They like the part about Jesus being the person that blesses them, but they don't like the part about them having to change. They only want the benefits. They don't want to do the business. They want the rewards from Christ, but they don't want to repent for Christ. And repentance is an absolute key to a Christian. Jesus, when he came on the scene, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So those who don't know Christ, we have to be patient. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, because initially these people, like you and I were at some point, they don't want the truth. So the second reason why if Christianity is true, that so many people reject it is because the truth isn't modeled. Now, I'll be rough with some feathers with this one. Could it be that people who are critics of Christianity don't want to become a Christian because they see how Christians conduct themselves? They see how people who carry that title Christian, but the way they behave themselves, that turns them off. It could be that our behavior is the biggest barrier for why people either view Christ or view Christianity as something that's worthwhile or true or something that's not true. And just think about it. Every person has someone that they've developed an idea or perspective or opinion of them based on a single interaction. Now, that may not be fair to develop an entire view of someone based on a single interaction. But a lot of us do because there are people you meet once and you may never see them again. And they give you all the identifiers or whatever those are <laughs> of being a Christian. But the moment they open their mouth, it's like, wait a minute, they should conduct themselves in a certain kind of way. And this person says they're a Christian, but I'm looking at the things they're saying. I'm looking at the places they're going. I'm looking at the things they're doing. And I don't see the Christian life being modeled by them. Let me give you one scripture. First John chapter 317, it says that if anyone has material possessions and see a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So this person says they're a Christian, but when they see someone that's in a bad situation, and let's be honest, all of us Christians are guilty of this to some degree. What's our default response most of the time? Wow, that's unfortunate. I'm going to pray for them. <laughs> And if we're really honest, we don't even pray for them. It's just something we say to sound pious, to sound religious. But these people who are critics and those who are outside the faith, are they seeing Christianity being modeled in you? And let me take it a step further. Are they seeing Christ being modeled in you? Let me give you another scripture. This scripture is specifically talking about the traits and qualifications of a church leader, which by definition is still a Christian. First Timothy chapter three, verses six and seven. It says about a church leader, he must not be a recent convert, 
or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Verse seven, look at what it says. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he would not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And if we're really honest as Christians, every time you turn on television or you go online, you're seeing about some scandal, about some preacher, some pastor, some leader saying something or doing something that's just totally inappropriate or totally against the the word of God. The enemy does not want Christ to be glorified. He wants Christ to look unattractive to those who aren't saved. So he's going to amplify those stories. He's going to make sure those things are magnified. He's going to make sure that those who are on the outside, that when they see preacher, when they see pastor, the first thing that comes to their mind is some kind of charlatan, somebody who's stealing money, somebody who's a philanderer. That's the first thing they want you and I to think. But now it's wrong to automatically jump to that conclusion. However, it would be impossible for someone to jump to that conclusion if the person didn't do that. <laughs> you can't jump to a conclusion that doesn't exist. You couldn't assume that all preachers, all pastors were that way unless there were pastors who actually were that way. <laughs> so we have to make sure as Christians that we live our lives in such a way that it's beyond as much as possible, beyond reproach. Now, of course, we've already discussed that as Christians, we're never going to be sinless. We're going to always fall short of God's glory and we're thankful for his grace and his mercy and the blood of Calvary that covered our sins. But as much as we can, especially when it comes to those who are on the outside, we have to make sure we conduct ourselves in a way that people can't use that as a way to attack Christianity or to say that, see how these people conduct themselves? That whole Christianity thing, see, I knew it wasn't any good. Now, let me say this. There are some people who are going to be cynical and critical, and regardless of what you say and how good you live your life, they're going to be critics and cynics anyway. So you can't please everyone in that regard. But again, as much as you can, as much as it is with you, try to live your life in a way that people can criticize you and in turn criticize the God that we serve. One more scripture and we're going to move to the next point. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now listen to this. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. Listen to this having nothing evil to say about us. So contrary to popular opinion, God does care about our PR. <laughs> he does care about how he's portrayed about people. Now, people like to give this whole idea, well, I don't care what you think about me. You know, your opinion doesn't matter. Well, if you're a Christian, people's opinion does matter. And it's not because of you. It's because of how people are going to view God through you. And just imagine this. Those of you who are listening who have children, your children leave the house. They are representing you. They, they may do something that they shouldn't do. And it was them that did it independently of you. But because they ha have your last name, they are a representation of you. 
And it would not bode well on you if they did something that was illegal or did something that was wrong. Now, if that's the case for a human parent and a human child, how much more would it be for our heavenly father and his children? Scripture makes it clear that our reputation does matter, that this whole idea that I don't care what you think about me has to go out the window when it comes to being a Christian. And it's not because people's opinion of you matters, because it's not about you anyway. It's about how you represent God. And look at it this way. If you call yourself a Christian and your behavior is so abhorrent that it drives people away from God, how do you think he's going to react to you? Because at that point, you are no longer doing his will. You are no longer an asset to him because instead of bringing people to him, you're literally pushing people away. So we have to get out of the idea of thinking that as long as I'm a Christian, as long as I'm saved, as long as I've got Jesus, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people do. We got to get out of that whole idea. The truth has to be modeled to those who don't know Christ. Can we be honest? Someone who's listening today, you became a Christian because you saw how someone else lived. You saw how someone else lived their life. You saw how they modeled Christ and that was attractive to you. So because that person modeled Christ to you, you in turn were drawn to Christ. So our reputation, our behavior, our deportment, especially to those who are not Christians and they're always watching, it always matters because the way we live as Christians is the way that some people are going to view Christ. And if you call yourself a Christian, the way you carry yourself is not just a way to draw people to Christ. It's a way to honor Christ. And that's something we all should be aspiring to do. So if Christianity is true, why do so many people reject it? It's because the truth isn't wanted. The truth isn't modeled. But then the truth isn't explained. Now, what do I mean by that? When it comes to the gospel, scripture in first Corinthians says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. We have to understand, as I said earlier in the episode, that the idea of Jesus Christ dying for our sins seems absolutely ridiculous to someone who's not a Christian. They don't understand that. They don't see how that applies to us. They don't see how someone dying on a cross 2000 years ago has anything to do with their lives now. They don't understand the severity of their sin and they don't understand the power of the resurrection of Christ. They don't understand the power of the redemption of Christ. So we are already behind the eight ball, so to speak, in trying to get them to understand something that we have received in truth, but also by faith. So let's already get in our minds that we're up against it, trying to explain something that they don't have the spirit of God to illuminate them to. So we already have that challenge. But the problem is twofold. One, people who call themselves Christians don't feel like they should share the gospel. They feel like that's the preacher's job. That's the pastor's job. I come to church so he can tell me what the word says. So his job is to make sure there are more people to come to church. His job is to make sure the kingdom of heaven is grown. Well, God did not give the great commission 
to just pastors. He gave the Great Commission to everyone who calls himself a Christian. So people don't want to share the truth. But the problem is twofold. And not only do Christians not want to share the truth, they do a bad job of explaining the truth. Now, why is that? Because they don't know what the word says. They haven't sharpened their sword, so to speak. They have not delved in to the word for themselves so they can be ready to share the gospel. So the desire isn't there and the, the, the legwork to know what the word says isn't there. Now, I want to read a scripture that if you've been a Christian for quite a while, you know this scripture. But I'm going to read one verse and I'm going to read the two next two verses. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 afterwards, though, because most of us know verse 15. Look at what it says. Do your best to win full approval in God's sight as a worker who is not ashamed of his work, one who correctly teaches the message of God's truth. Those of us who've been in church for a while probably know who those who rightly devise the word of truth, the worker who is not ashamed. So you know that scripture. So it says, basically, do your best to win God's approval. Those who are not ashamed, who correctly knows the word of truth. Right. So that's already an indictment for a lot of us because we don't know what the word says. But look at what it says. Keep away from profane and foolish discussions, which only drive people further away from God. Such teaching is like an open sore that eats away the flesh. So you see, it's one thing to know what the scripture says. And let's be honest, a lot of us are deficient at that. But verse 16 says we got to keep away from profane and foolish discussions which drive people away. So in terms of spreading the gospel, you have to do so in a way that doesn't drive people away. Basically, in a nutshell, you can't argue somebody into heaven. So we have to be able to explain the gospel, but do so in a way that's attractive to people. The same gentle, loving, kind spirit that you should carry throughout your life, as we talked about in the second point, to be modeled in your life. You need to have that same disposition where you're explaining the gospel. Verse 15 says, who correctly teaches the word of truth. I'm afraid, family, that we have so many Christians who go to church, who call themselves Christians, but don't know scripture. And the idea, as I stated earlier, is that they believe that the preacher's job or the street ministry, if you have something similar like that at your church or the evangelism team, those are the ones who should be on the battlefield winning souls for God. But that's not the case. The Bible makes it clear. There's a scripture that says we all have been given a ministry of reconciliation. All of us are part of that ministry of bringing others to Christ. That means that in order for us to bring someone to Christ using the gospel, we have to explain the gospel. And maybe people reject Christ because of the way we're explaining it to them. Maybe we're not giving them scripture. Maybe we're not taking time to really help them to understand. Maybe we don't take time to say, you know what? This is not a one conversation deal. We're going to have to spend some time. Hey, do you mind if we get together and I show you some scriptures? And are you doing so with love and gentleness and meekness? Or are you just running around trying to force feed 
the gospel down their throat if you're sharing it at all. So you have to make sure that we're doing this in a way, as the scripture says, that does not drive people farther away from God. One more scripture and we're done. First Peter chapter three, verse 15, it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. I'm going to start right there. Look at what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer. Now, as I already stated earlier, that impetus that Peter is writing is saying that that's not the church's job. That's your job. It's your job to make sure you're prepared to give an answer. And it says to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. So you should be able as a Christian to explain to someone why you believe in Jesus Christ, why Christianity is the truth, and why they should believe it. If you are a new Christian, then of course you have to learn the word of God. But if you're someone who claims to be a Christian for any significant amount of time, and you cannot explain the gospel, you can't explain the cross, you can't explain the reason why you're a Christian and why someone else should become a Christian, then my friend, you have some real issues in your walk that I pray that you address as soon as possible because God is going to hold us all accountable for what we do and what we don't do. And I don't want to be in a position when I stand before the Lord and he says there were opportunities for you to spread the gospel and you didn't do it. There were times that I wanted you to get into the word to prepare and you didn't do it. So we have to be prepared to give an answer. In order for us to be prepared, we have to get into the word. But let's continue with that verse. The last part of the verse says, but do this. Give the reason for the hope you have, but do this. Check this out with gentleness and respect. Let me put it to you like this. You have to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And they still have a good impression of who you are. That doesn't mean that they may necessarily agree with you. That person you talk to, they may leave you still not believing in Jesus Christ. But the fact that you talk to them with gentleness, respect and with dignity can lead them to say, you know what? Maybe I need to do some research on this Jesus thing. Some of us who become a Christian. They did so because they model someone. And that person they modeled was someone who, for the most part, went against the grain of popular opinion of how they thought Christians were or went against the grain of the Christians they had previously encountered. Because all of us have encountered someone who says they're a Christian, but their behavior didn't prove they were a Christian. And because of that, like I said earlier, they derived a bad impression. So now here it comes. You come along. And you give them a totally different view of what Christianity is. So now they're saying, wow, this particular person was not like the Christians I met before. And not only were they nice and they pleasant, but they gave me something to think about. They explained to me why they believe what they believe. So at the very least, I can respect their opinion and it may give me something to think about. I always say this from an evangelistic perspective. Every person you talk to about Christ is not going to run and be a Christian, but they should leave you at least with a better view of Christ than they did when they spoke to you. So at the very least, 
We got to be able to explain the truth to people who are not Christians in a way so they won't be turned off by it. So at the very least, they can leave with a better impression of who Jesus Christ is. Talking to those who are not Christian is going to always be a challenge because they don't have the same perspective we do. But as a body of believers, it is imperative for us to still share the gospel to the entire world. And even though it's true, people are going to still reject it. They're going to reject it because the truth isn't wanted. They're going to reject it because sometimes the truth is a model. And we as Christians have to do a better job of modeling Christ. And then the truth isn't explained. And we as Christians have to do a better job of explaining the faith we have in such a way that it does not, as the scripture says, turn people off to Christ. You and I are never going to save anyone by our words, but we can push them away by our words. Our words are powerful. And as ambassadors for Christ, do what we can to live a life that's pleasing to God and that's beyond reproach by those who see us and those who live among us. Thank you so much for listening. I pray that this podcast blessed you. And as always, let your light shine brightest for the Lord Jesus Christ beyond the benediction.